welcome to Historically Speaking for another week. This is Alex and Andrew here. Hello. We- hello. Hello, Alex. How has your week been? It's been all right. Definitely. Well, we're not actually here at the moment, are we? No. Oh, spooky. No. Well, one of us is. Well, I'm not going to tell you who. No. Um, um, but yeah, so we're going to talk about, we're talking about society in Melbourne, but we're going to focus on the um, the period of Melbourne known as Marvellous Melbourne. Indeed. So this was during the 1850s to 90s, yeah. um, before all the banks crashed. And and, um, and when, the gold, when gold. there was gold to be found, there was and the Melbourne days. was the richest city on earth. I have yet to find any gold since the 1890s. I've done a lot of looking. I'm have going tanning your, again next Saturday. Have you dug up your backyard? No. You can't think of it. Um, but yes, we do. We if do, you we, don't do that, you might as well not bother. <laughs> so, so start at home. Yeah. Um, but we, uh, yeah, we, we look at all aspects of the history of Melbourne. We're going to sort of find some interesting facts about it and share them here uh, and, and talk about them. So if you're history, history buff, get around it. And as, you, as Alex just said then, we're going to focus this week on the gold rush and particularly the way that affected Melbourne society. Um, well, well, we're not really focusing on the gold rush. We might do that later, but we're focusing on like the effects of the gold rush in true. Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, and like the the people that it brought and all that. So yeah, we'll give you some give you some background for the gold rush. Gold was first found in Melbourne in eighteen fifty one, nice. Which is also the year that Victoria became separate from New South Wales and its own colony. And that happened is, that happened beforehand, didn't it? That happened, yeah, we discovered, like just yeah, beforehand. Yeah. Otherwise, the New South Welsh Welsh people would like, kick <laughs> up a fuss. Yeah. Um, but no, eighteen fifty one. Gold was discovered near Mount Alexander. Near Mount Alexander. Yeah. So naturally, people go looking. Definitely. They're like, "I want to make. I want to find some gold. I need it. I want to buy some stuff." That um, feeling still resists to this day. Yeah, I want to find some gold. Um, it's like me and and like you know the lotto. <laughs> yeah, it's Centrelink for me. <laughs> um, um, it's just a way of getting cash. And yeah, and interestingly though, this area that was started up uh, Mount Alexander. Uh, was not a not a European settlement at that point. It was obviously obviously uh, populated by the by the indigenous people of Australia, but not uh, not by Europeans at that point. So that that shows how great the desire for gold was. That people were prepared to move. Europeans were prepared to go and actually settle areas and basically build their entire new lives just to find gold. Yeah, like rich. like everyone from all over. Like there was an intense Chinese immigration as mm. well during mm. that period. Exactly. Um, in eighteen fifty one. Victoria's population was eighty thousand, so fairly decent considering Australia had only been sorry Victoria had only been around for like fifteen years or so. Yeah. By eighteen fifty four, two hundred and thirty seven thousand. Wow. By eighteen sixty one, fifty four. Sorry, five hundred and forty thousand people were living in Victoria. That's crazy. So. In ten years, there was a there was a, a essentially a ten times ten, uh, the yeah. population increased tenfold. From from in fact even more so it increased increased thirty five fold from twenty five thousand uh, to five hundred forty. Didn't 000. increase tenfold because otherwise tenfold would have been five hundred thousand, but it more than doubled. Was um, that five hundred forty thousand? Yeah, five hundred forty thousand after yeah. eighty thousand. After eighty thousand, sorry, yes, but it's still it was an extreme rise, um, and not yeah, and and slightly yeah, in in nine or ten years was it, it really it really did did see the city the formation of a city in 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 Victoria. Before yeah. that, there wasn't really anything to draw the... Yeah, um, it was. it's just wild thinking about it. Like, the current population of Melbourne is 3 million, mm. like almost 4 million. 
I think it was, I think I saw four million. Mm. I think um, it's now clicked over to four million now. Just now we're four million. Yeah. Um, so in co- in comparison to have that rate of growth, there'd be twenty seven million people living in Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the entire population of Australia during that period. Yeah. And that's why. Um, but like, not a lot of people found gold. No. The amount of gold that they found enabled Britain to pay off its debts because, as a colony, all the gold that was found, a lot of it was sent to the Treasury in Melbourne. Two tonnes yeah. per week was sent down to Melbourne. That's a lot of gold. Very heavy gold. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. they should have invested some of the lighter gold. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that heavy gold it made it harder to ship, didn't it? Imagine if they'd had even lighter gold. Um, they tried using, aluminium. Using that gold, like Britain was able to pay off its foreign debts, and mm. that's why, like later in the century, Britain becomes this massive machine that it is. Yeah. Because they have no foreign debts to anyone, because Melbourne gave them a ton of gold. Exactly, exactly. And Melbourne itself became one of the richest cities in the world. It still sent all its money to, to, uh, to England, yeah. and and yet still had enough left over to become the richest in the empire. Yeah, it became one of the richest cities. Briefly, the, yeah, at least one of, or indeed the richest city in the world for a very brief time. Yeah. And certainly the richest city in the British Empire. And uh, and, and in such a small town, I can't think, I can, there's very few examples of a town, perhaps in California, perhaps in, in the ancient Actually, parts of... No, it couldn't have been California, because the Californian gold rush was happening at the same time. Yeah, exactly. So, due to the, f- like, for Melbourne to be the richest city in the world, which it was, yeah. like, the amount of gold that they found in Melbourne, the gold rush lasted, like, at no. least a good five years longer than the Californian yeah. one did. So, yeah. like, there reaches yeah. the period where, like, gold rushes teeter out because they're like, oh, wait, not many people are getting stuff. No, but in like, terms of... Even in 1852, originally it was supposed, like, people who were there at the time were like, oh, five out of every hundred are making their fortunes. Mm. Um, 45 are making enough to eat on. <laughs> yeah. And 50 are in starvation. So it's Whereas, only a half a chance of starvation. But by the end of that year, yeah. the same people were like, yeah, it's 90% chance you're starving. <laughs> yeah. Like, stuff was expensive. Yeah. And, like, being on the gold meant, being on the gold rush mines meant that you had to pay your tax. Yeah. Which, which possibly. Exorbitant. Yeah. And which led to the Eureka Stockade, which we'll touch on in a later episode. Yeah. Um, you had to buy food, you had to buy clothing. And often not just for you, but for your wife and child as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, and family. And, like,. You weren't having an income. You were lucky if you found gold. Yeah, or indeed, a lot of people sold other metals and valuables they found. Yeah, like, whatever you found, you sold. But, like, it's just one of those wild things that, um... Yeah. I believe there's one story of um, someone selling sand. They found a sandy mine, and they, they didn't even bother looking for gold after a while. They just sold sand to a glass blower in, in Melbourne. And that just ingenious ways like that. But it was, yeah, it was only really the people who obsessively looked for gold... Most of whom, in fact, none of whom really found gold, and and the rest, the rest only survived because they found other ways of of making uh, making money. The real way to make money in the gold was just to own a hotel or a pub. because yeah, so, everyone would come in and be like, "Oh, I want some food, or I want something, or yeah. want some sleep." Yeah. Although the biggest find, in, literally, yes. Do you know what that was? The welcome stranger. Oh, tell me more. In uh, eighteen sixty nine. 1869, the largest lump of gold was found, not just in uh, in Australian terms, not just the largest lump of gold in the history of Australia, but the largest lump of gold found in the history of the world was discovered in Victoria in 1869. That's some big gold. In Ballarat. Isn't, the, isn't it amusing when the most anticlimactic part of the conversation, part of the sentence ends? Was it found in Ballarat? Near I, Ballarat. Because I, I was pretty sure it was on the... I've, 
between Ballarat and Clunes in a river. Yeah. I don't think it's really a marked location. Anyway, 1869, 69, uh, 78 kilos of solid gold. Imagine how heavy that would have been more than anything else. A, a, a lump that was too big for even two people to carry. Yeah, um, that's, that's, that's huge. Yes, and it's, it was... It's, west of, it's northwest of Bendigo. It's it, west of Bendigo. So it was found... Uh, oh, that and far north? Yeah, yeah it was It was pretty far north because they ran over it in their stagecoach. <laughs> Did they? It was lying in the road. Yeah. You've not heard that you, story? You would have thought, would have thought the, uh, the, road, the road builders would have capitalised on it first. Yeah. But then, well, like we've got to build a road anyway. Like, as they as they're, they were arriving on their thing and they ran over it and they were like, oh, what's this? Yeah. Oh, it's gold. Oh, damn it. We will maybe if we can use the gold to pay for a new wheel. Yeah. But then they couldn't get they died of starvation trying to get back to town. No, they yeah, the family decent oats and uh the decent family, the Oates family and a few of their friends took the nugget to the London Chartered Bank of Australia in Dunolly, uh, and gave them nine thousand pounds, which is valued today to be about three to four million dollars. Walking through and finding three to four million dollars. But this is the crux of it. This is the part that that infuriates and, and, and bewilders me is the fact that the largest nugget of gold, there were no scales that were big enough to weigh it. That's how big the nugget of gold was. That's how big the welcome stranger was. They couldn't weigh it because there were no, no scales to, that could hold it. Uh, but what they did instead is they melted it down. They didn't take any photos or anything, I suppose. It's a little bit early for that. They took engra- there's an engraving of it. There's one engraving of it. But they didn't think to preserve it. They didn't think to... to I mean, like, it's gold. That's true. I mean, it's... They'll probably go, we'll find more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's not that exciting, is it, in the end But, like, it? they had to they had to break it into three pieces so they yeah. could weigh it. And then they melt it down, because that's what they do anyway. And they melt it down to cufflinks. I into went, cufflinks. That's, did they? Yes, they did. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's the general consensus. They, they send it to a jeweller who melted it down into cufflinks. All three pieces. So that's if you... A, those if would family, be some big cufflinks. <laughs> yeah, just the one set as well. But you should have seen the shirt. It was massive. It was like like um, Gil- Gilliver's Travels. Travels. Um, but yeah. it was anyway. That was if your family owns gold cufflinks that date back that long. There was a fair chance it may have been made from the. I don't, I've never heard that stranger. before. I don't think so. Are you sure? Who told you that? I, I I did it through research. Something at the state library said it said it was. Oh. Melted down to cufflinks, and I can't find what else it was. Mel- Maybe not exclusively cufflinks, but its purpose of being melted down was cufflinks. Yeah. and they certainly made. Quite a few sets of cufflinks out of the largest lump of gold in the world. I mean, you'd think, I don't know, I guess in hindsight, I don't know what they what you would expect them to do with something like that. I guess it's a bit much to ask them to put it in a museum, but they like, could have... The second largest have... one was melted down into coins. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, at least coins are something that's still got a good value. Anyway, yeah, I don't, maybe it's just me. Maybe, Cut. I don't know. I, I, it was refined to ingots and then shipped off to the Bank of England. Yeah. Huh. Uh, oh. Anyway... Anyway, in any case, it was it's yeah, but uh, but the um, and but I believe I think that but the gold the gold is still a huge um, gold yeah. is still gold is still seen all over parts of Victoria. Gold from the gold rush, I believe the uh, the top of the capital of the of the um, exhibition building is gold, not yeah. the whole dome. That's fake. No, that's it's guilt. just like the top top of the top. The top part of the gold part is actual real gold. The rest of it is gilt. Also the uh, Inside of the roof of Parliament. Yeah, building. that's all gilded, and we'll talk more yeah. about those buildings in a bit. Yeah, but that is the actual gold rush. And then by the 1890s, like you say, the economic uh, crash had sort of ruined people's chances. They really couldn't afford to do it anymore, and they couldn't afford to make. That was the other thing about the depression. They couldn't. They could no longer afford to make picks or axes or any ways of finding the gold, and so people really had to go back to basics. And after that, the gold rush kind of ended. People realised there was more money to get 
to to be found in getting proper jobs in Melbourne yeah. and Ballarat. And so that had to, that well, happened. And one ended. of the more interesting things is that some of the mining towns still exist. Yeah, very much like so. they 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 like still exist and stuff. And Bendigo but, um, still has a gold mine. Um, yeah, so does Ballarat mm. in Southern Hill. Just wanted to one up Bendigo. <laughs> um, no, but like one of the things that's interesting is that like some of the towns went back and they stayed there. Some of them just vanished. Yeah, yeah. they're like they're like you can see like the old like. The only things that remain are like sometimes where they've like changed the landscape, like where they've mm. put in post holes and stuff, and that's it. But there are other times, other places where remnants of the gold rush are very obvious and all over the place. I mean, there's there's entire settlements, entire communities that yeah. have been abandoned, mine shafts have been abandoned all over the western part of Victoria. And it wasn't just the western part as well. We talk a lot about um, we talk a lot about Ballarat and Bendigo and that area, but there was also a gold rush at Omeo, St Andrews. Uh, Terelgan, there were lots of places where gold was found. Pretty much, people people scoured the earth. There was most of the gold found in, in the Bendigo, Ballarat, Western area, but it wasn't exclusively there. And so any of those places where there was once gold, chances are the, the houses and infrastructure built in those small towns was built during the gold rush. Yeah. And it picks, town, it picks items. I, I remember going, once going, doing some, somewhere yeah. in Clune. I think it was near Clune. I can't remember exactly where we were. And we stumbled upon this... This, this huge pile of tin cans and tools that was off the beaten track and obviously just never been cleared and never properly restored. And so there was just all these 150-year-old objects lying around. So that's one fun thing to do is just being carefully going around and looking in all those old mining districts because it left such a big impact. The population of Bendigo and Ballarat and Victoria was larger in the rural areas than it is today. Yeah. Which is interesting to remember. Like, it's like populations move... Yeah, and they leave traces, but some are less obvious. But we should go back to Melbourne. Uh, maybe have a song, yeah, and then we'll talk about exactly what the gold was done with, what what they did with the gold. Yeah, they did a lot of crazy stuff. And in the theme of both uh, the topic of gold and the quality of the gold rush, here is Russell Morris. Mor- uh, here is Russell Morris from his uh, 2014 album, uh, Van Diemen's Land, which is. A song, well, an album of exclusively sort of folky, rocky songs about the history of, of, of Victoria. I noticed that no, there are no other singers on there, so I don't think he was able to convince anyone else to do it with him. But it's still not bad. Here's Bendigo Rock by Russell Morris. You're listening to Historically Speaking on Sin. Now we're going to talk about what was done with the money. Mm. And so, unlike a lot of other governments, this government decided to invest in infrastructure. Really? Yeah. Who'd have guessed? And the world didn't end. No. So what were the terrible effects of investing in infrastructure? So, by investing in infrastructure, Melbourne got such lovely buildings as the State Library. Nice. Libraries are a thing of the past. The State Library. Parliament House. Well, need I say more about that? Um, the Royal Exhibition Building. Meh. Uh, Flinders Street Station. Uh, major delays. <laughs> You and your you and your dodgy as line, <laughs> um, a dodgy political satire. God, that's that's yeah. the four that I can. That's the four major ones I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, but like during this period, Melbourne was the richest city on earth. Like yeah. it had money. It was like rolling in cash, going like dollar dollar bills, y'all. Um, <laughs> so, or the eighteenth century, nineteenth century equivalent of that. Um, uh, 
Poundy, 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 every fellow gentleman. Nice. Um, um, you're going to bring that back. There's a sound bite right there. Uh, poundy, 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 every poundy, fellow gentleman. Poundy, 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 of a wealthy gentleman. No, um, I reckon they could become a gif. But, but um, yeah, like it's one of those ones where like due to, the, due to the amount of money that they had, they built Parliament House, which is a massive structure. Yeah. Um, and not only did they build it, they also lined the ceiling with gold. So if you were to go into the Victorian public... Parliament House and like look at some of the decorations and be like, oh, that's some nice gold. Oh, yeah. there's like a million dollars worth of gold in the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, they frown on that. The tour guide, <laughs> the tour guide was like, please no. Yeah, but it is it is extraordinary to see how much decadence and wealth is just thrown around. And we'd mentioned before about the exhibition building has has gold in it. Flinders Street Station, I think the clock as part of it is gold. I don't think so. Oh. I didn't think any of it was gold. I was, I thought it was like. During the period, built during the period where like gold, like mm. there's no need for it to be gold. No, so that's probably yeah exactly. It wasn't it was it wasn't tasteless. A lot of the buildings are quite aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, there town was, hall. There's definitely a lot of neoclassical buildings. Yeah, yeah. With like the the pillars and the mm. the interesting thing about Parliament House is that it they built a hill for it. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So like if you look down Burke Street, and I advise you do just don't step in front of the trams. No. Um, you look down Burke Street. And it towers. It towers over the building. Mm. And it is. It is actually. I mean, there is a natural hill there. There's, yeah, there's they, but they accentuated but... it. And then, like, you don't think about it. But then, like, I've walked up those steps. I'm like, man, there's a lot of steps here. Yeah, yeah. And same with the um, Treasury Building as well. I believe that was yeah. built on Natural Hill. And the interesting thing about the Royal Treasury Building, I mean, that was that was kind of that's just basically a. a, a uh, an afterthought today, but in its time, the Treasury Building was the centre of everything. It was the centre of commerce. It was where all the gold was held. That was where the gold was dished out. Yeah. Um, that was it. Was an extremely important building in during the gold rush and, and the decades afterwards. The the Treasury Building on the corner of Collins and Spring Street was designed by a 19-year-old student of arts at Melbourne University. Oh, really? 19-year-old. Designed the whole thing, including the entrances, exits. Um, the, uh, the, the original one. The original really? one, yeah. yeah. Wow. So there's a fun fact for you. And then what do art students do these days? Um, but it's one of those... If You, you can go there today, and it's, it's still the registry building. Mm. Um, but like under in there, they've also got like a museum. Yeah. That's really good for, like, the history of the gold rush. Yeah. And, like, they've got a replica of the Welcome Stranger. So yeah. if you w- if you would like to see it for, your, like, your, like, get your own sort of perspective, I recommend it. Definitely. It's right next to Parliament House, so you can't miss it. No. The, um, the, the interesting thing, though, one of the, one of the more interesting aspects of the life after the gold rush was how people who had the gold dealt with it and sort of guarded it. If you go up Flinders Lane, a lot of the buildings there have warehouses under the ground, some of which are now car parks, underground car parks. Others are just storerooms have been filled in but uh, but you look at all those buildings along there and they all have bars over the windows yeah. and that's because they were gold storerooms it seems huh. like a bit of a flimsy defence when you think about it just to keep people out of out of out of uh, out of stealing the gold they put bars a few wide bars on but yeah. um, but anyway oh well so, but like you know Flinders Lane is like out of its way and stuff like that's where they had all like markets and stuff as yeah. well yeah um so what about what actually happened for the the average person on the street? Maybe someone who didn't partake in the gold rush. There's this huge city of wealth. What do what do people do? Not with a their whole time? heap. Oh, well, like infrastructure improved, the roads improved. Mm. Um, they introduced trams, like horse drawn. Yeah. But like the first trams were introduced in Melbourne, so like transport became easier. Yeah. Um, it was one of those ones where like Melbourne became a showpiece city. Like yeah. we got electricity before some of the other cities did. 
we got, you know, you got the old treasury, mm. like you said, you got Parliament House, you know, we, ha- we were hosting world fairs, which, mm. like, doesn't seem like a big deal, but, like... It was like hosting the Olympics back in the day. Yeah, like, not, no city was, like, really meant to, because you had to build these grand structures that were, like, temporary. Mm, mm. Like, the current Royal Exhibition Building is only part of what was originally there. Yeah. Some of it burnt down and some of it they demolished. Um, yeah. Some of it was basically, like, fish storage or something. And some of it was actually... I'm disappointed they destroyed the fish storage area. We could really do with the fish storage area now. I don't think so. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to p- petition the government. Yeah, exactly. It was planned to be demolished. The Eiffel Tower was planned to be torn down. We were lucky that we kept on to... We held on to... We're as lucky that we held on to the Capitol... Uh, onto the, um, onto the Royal Exhibition Building. We're as lucky that we held on to that as we are that Paris held on to the Eiffel yeah. Tower. Um, Speak... I would also like to mention that the Royal Exhibition Building is like one of only two buildings in Australia or mm. sites li- in Australia that are listed in UNESCO's World Heritage Sites. That's right, yeah. Um, for cultural reasons only. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what the other one is? Is it the Sydney Harbour Bridge? No, it's the damn Opera House. Oh, the freaking Opera House. The yeah. Opera House, it's very, it's nice, it's okay. It's it's, very I don't think it's that culturally important. It's very Sydney. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean sails, like, so what? We have a new sailing ship since the... 1800s. Yeah. Anyway, um, we're talking about Melbourne, the better yes, city. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Wait till we do our history of Sydney, uh, our, our tour of glorious Sydney, one of the world's shortest episodes of radio. Um, um, the, but yeah, like it was hosted the signing of the... Um, Declaration. Yeah, the, the Federation, Federation document. document. Um, but yeah, like it, it's become an important part of Australian life. One thing when you're talking about, uh, when you're talking about the Exhibition Building and Parliament House... One fun fact about those two buildings is that uh, Parliament House was originally supposed to have a dome of its own, no pun intended. Um, and, and there are still, even as late as Jeff Kennett, in fact, even as late as, I believe, um, John Brax. Oh, uh, really? We was actually planning to have, have, have revised the plan of building Stop a building dome. Stop building the dome. <laughs> so, we don't need the dome. Daniel Andrews is going to do it sooner or later. He'll, he's doing some good stuff now, but it'll get to the point where he is as... Uh, he he eventually tries to petition to put a dome yeah. on top of it. As soon as building. they try to build the dome, they've gone too far. <laughs> so, There's no need for a dome. <laughs> the dome is not home. We cannot no own home, the dome. No dome. <laughs> so, so. Um, so that's yeah, that's a, that's a fun fact. And what about for the average person on the street though? And like I say, a lot of people didn't really make that much money out of the gold rush. Or if they did, it was because they owned a business. Most people just went back to being a, a blue collar worker of some sort. Yeah, or a... I mean, a lot of people just sort of like they either stayed in their towns and owned shops and stuff, or some of them even went to other cities and stuff and yeah. worked there and um, like become become a labourer and stuff like that. I mean, like, so like. Part of it was because, like, either way, they weren't making a lot of money. No, no. Um, and so, like, the everyday person sort of kind of struggled, like, after the gold rush, but, like, it was a lot easier for them to fall. If they had a skill trade, it was it would have been easier. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, what fascinates me, though, is the statistics of the, uh, the, the blue-collar working wages, which seem exorbitant. I mean, they're not... They're, they're, they obviously wouldn't quite be enough to live I mean they probably would have only been just enough to live off and they would have still been uh, still would have been fairly fairly petty and menial but you've got you found statistics here of, uh, of yeah. the blue collar workers was this in 18 in 50 1851 51 um, so this is before the gold rush yeah so with that the the gold rush was like this was just before the gold rush, and probably a bit the same after the gold rush. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't have thought it would have changed too much. So, like, no. carpenters got like ten shillings a day. Um, Smiths got like nine. Wheelwrights got eight, ten. Like, about ten shillings a day. 
like farm laborers got like thirty eight pounds a year. Yeah. Shepherds forty two, and they were like the highest paid out of this table that I found at the state library. Mm, mm. Um, it's interesting that shepherds, to show how much Australia relied on sheep, even in those days, how shepherds were paid more than more than dispatch. I think any it's other also kind of because they'd have to wander with the sheep. That's true. Like it's a lot less like farm laborers. They wake up, they go home, yeah. they wake up. Less so with shepherds. Yeah, and shepherd, yeah, shepherding is probably a much more. Involving job. Which isn't that much money, because I was reading the diary of... um, I was reading someone's diary that I found, and, well, like a biography diaries type Mm. combination thing. And this was a woman from the upper class, wasn't it? Yeah, and her husband was apparently bringing home, like, £350 a year. Okay. And that wasn't enough. No, no. Like, I was reading... I was reading the diary of um, Emily Childers, whose husband was like high up in the civil service, mm. and ends up becoming um, ends up becoming like part of the immigration, like one of the officers there, yeah. maybe even the chief. Um, I haven't gotten that far. <laughs> Definitely, that's, that's chapter five. Yeah, I uh, won't tell you what happens. <laughs> um, but yeah, like so, so like she was saying that like it's enough to like live on, mm. and she was living in Collingwood though, but not enough to live comfortably. But, like, in country towns, it was. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was one of those ones where, like, country towns, it was enough to live off. But, like, they had to be in Melbourne due to her husband's job. Mm. So, because of that, she had to had to move into the city. And mm. that's where, like, stuff was more expensive. You know, you had more expenses. Mm. But, like, to be fair, like, people probably could have lived off that, like, $350. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, part of that was probably paying their house... Well, if nine thousand, if nine thousand pounds equates to four million dollars in today's money, yeah, it's then it's, a fair, it's a, still about for a few hundred thousand dollars. But it was like it wasn't a luxurious amount of money. It was like no. sort of being like upper middle class. Yeah, yeah, like you had money, but you couldn't. Oh well, middle class. Well, you had enough money to like live comfortably, but not enough to like splash the cash. Yeah, like by being like, oh, look at all my money, and making it rain, even yes. though they. Pound, 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 rich gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a wealthy gentleman. Poundy, 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 <laughs> my, my fellow gentleman. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, like, so, like, most people were struggling. Like, it was, it was one of those ones where during that period also it was known as Smelburn. Because ah, yes. it was a bad smell. We mentioned before that we were the, one of the first to get electricity, one of the first to get trams, but we weren't one of the first to get sanitation. Don't think that happened until the twenties, yeah. probably. And we were known, yeah. The sanitation was probably the weakest aspect of Melbourne's development, the slowest part. In fact, it won famous ball not long after Federation. I think it was in nineteen oh two or three. A big, uh, a big meeting of delegates, delegates and, and important people, uh, got sick after they drank beer that was brewed in local Melbourne water. Yeah, so, it's, it's uh, uh, yeah, that's that's a less. That's really, they got part. sick of beer. Yeah, yeah. Really? Because they boiled the water. Well, you think so, but yeah, I mean, maybe it was maybe they maybe the beer was fine, and they drank some water to go with it. But yeah. Anyway. Uh, yes. Let's let's go to a song. Definitely, definitely. You are listening to. After this, we'll talk a bit more about about how sort of how people came out of the gold rush and and what affects the gold yeah, rush. Yeah, and still like how people today. were living and stuff. Because mm. there was a lot more than just the gold rush. There was a there was like a lot going on, like. Because Melbourne, during that period, like, Victoria was being, like, formed as a city, mm. as, like, a state. So, like, there was a lot of, like, flux. Yeah. Uh, let's go to another song. This is, uh, we played a lot of, um, we played a lot of songs about Melbourne, and here's another song about Melbourne. You can't go wrong with Courtney Barnett's 
Elevator Operator, probably just about one of the best songs. This is probably about the most Bel- Melbourneian song I've ever heard, and by one about the most Melbourneian artist of all time. Uh, great song. Lots of Melbourne references. The only thing I don't like about it is it says Elevator. And such an American expression, but there you go. It works oh, with you. the name. You're listening to Historically Speaking here on Sin Nation with Although, Alex and Andrew. To be fair, when you're talking about operators, um, I, would, uh, I wouldn't talk about like a lift operator. I'd talk about an elevator operator. I suppose. I suppose. Yeah. Well, I don't really think... I didn't even know we had elevator operators. Ah, there I said it. I didn't know we had lift operators in... You're right, actually. Yeah, ah, you've convinced yeah, yourself. Spooky. Yeah, you're right. You've proved your point through psychological um, indebting. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> Um, back to Historically Speaking, where we talk all about the history of Melbourne, um, and today we are talking about society in Melbourne throughout the ages, particularly focusing on the gold rush <coughs> and how that affected, how that affected the everyday person. Um, oh, wow. Right, last time we talked about the, uh, I just did that, that's what, that's what I waited. Um, well, last time we talked about, uh, last segment we talked about. The buildings that have been constructed? Yeah, the buildings and stuff. Um, I'd actually... You reminded me of someone. Um, so, you reminded me of my favourite dude in Victorian politics. Ah, uh, yes. John Smith. John, the most generic name, least generic personality. John Thomas Smith. Tell us about him. Um, he was seven times mayor of Melbourne. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> he, he was, like... Couldn't get enough. His parents may have been convicts. Um... And so he became a... He started owning a tavern um, and then built taverns, built the Queen's Theatre Royale, which is Melbourne's first theatre, okay. in 1845. So that's before the gold rush. Yeah. Um, which is also next to his pub. Uh, <laughs> next to the pub he managed. <laughs> While he was still in office, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently attempted to make it safe for gentlefolk by reserving the dress circle for them, prohibiting smoking, and putting street lamps in Potholed Queen Street. In 1854, right. he leased it to Charles Young for £300 a week. Do you think all those things would make it safe for everyone, not just the gentlefolk? But yeah. Anyway. Um, he, he lives in Mooney Ponds for a bit on Mount Alexander Road. Nice. That was his last home. He lived in Queen Street. Um... One of the other things is the fact that he always wore a white hat. A white hat? Yeah. So, like, even when it wasn't, like, too fashionable, <laughs> he was wearing a white hat. So, like, he was one of those characters that, like, didn't quite have class, no. but wanted to act like he had more class than he did. Because he didn't come from landed gentry, did he? No. He was, he was basically a middle-class person who pulled himself up by property ownership and politics, wasn't he? Yeah. Um. He He was a bit of a... He was, a, he was an interesting fellow. Like, he did a... He started a benevolent assignment, as, asylum. Yeah. Um, so, it was for it was for those who were, who were not able to support themselves. Um, so, which is, which is weird. Mm. Um, like, kind of nice, though. Like, it was like a centre where, like, people could go and help, like, in the 1840s, so it was probably terrible. No, it was, a, um, it was probably an awful place. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie. Um, although he voted against the secret ballot, which is interesting, because mm. um, he also opposed the reduction of the liner, miner's licence fee. Oh, okay. He opposed that? Yeah. 
Right. So, which is which one we'll mention leads to the Eureka Stockade and and um and and the the eventual uh, one of the, the Melbourne's well probably Australia's really own um, rebellion. Yeah, it's it's one of our. F- I think there's been a couple others. It was like the Rum Rebellion. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's the Battle of Vinnie Hill. But yeah, it's certainly Victoria's main one. Yeah, so it was one of those ones where um, he went to England to present a civic address of cred- congratulations to Queen Victoria. Mm. Um, didn't get a knighthood, sadly. He, he would have petitioned for one, though, wouldn't he? Yep. In fact, he wrote to Queen Victoria, basically asking for a knighthood. Yeah, he, well, he didn't quite. He, he, um, he got a testimonial signed by Bishop Perry and other judges... Um, so, but others told kind of lies to, kind of lies to the British government, and the British government was like, oh, we don't, do we really want to be associated with this dude? Uh, maybe yeah. not. That's um, enough to get a lot, that's, that's a good, poli- a good uh, warning to anyone else in politics hoping to get a knighthood, don't tell lies. Yeah, um, because, like, to be fair, he was a tavern owner, which isn't, like, well-respected. No, no. Like, owning the pub and selling booze is not not the most well-respected thing in those times. Um, But, yeah, but he was popular with the people, probably because I see you've gotten up the engraving of him, um, which clearly shows him in his white hat. Mm. And it makes a big point about the hat. The hat is about twice the side of him, about a third of the length of his body. Yeah, it's it's a huge white hat that he wore like everywhere. The person behind him is got an even wackier hat though. But won't worry about that. There's a guy behind him who's got a hat so long it, I thought it was the steeple on the church at the back. <laughs> it's extraordinary. But anyway, enough about these hatter gentlemen. Um, yeah, John Thomas Smith, one of the one of the most underrated figures in Melbourne politics and society. and life. But it's interesting to say that because a lot of the early Melbourneian um, pioneers, for want of a better word, uh, did actually own taverns and, and drinking holes and businesses. I remember, I believe, John Batman's did, um, Faulkner did. They all owned their own Faulkner pubs. also owned a printing press. Yeah, which was very helpful when he ran for election. Yeah. And wanted to gain the, gain the will of the people because he could print whatever he wanted. I'm pretty sure that printing press is in the State Library, at least parts of it. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. You can um, use it near the printers. <laughs> <laughs> Takes a while. <laughs> it's, it's, a, no, it's a bit slow. It's not very... It doesn't usually work. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, so there was, like, a lot of... Like, that period in Melbourne was, like, a major... Like, Melbourne was, like, well-respected. Mm. Like... <coughs> it was just one of those places where, like, people came. People yeah. wanted... People spent money. People had money. Yeah. Um... And, like, you could make money doing a lot of other things. Yeah. Like, and even though most of his... I will admit most of his money was made before the gold rush. Mm. Um, but also, like, also to mention the fact that he's, like... During the Eureka Stockade, he formed a special constable unit to, like, protect Melbourne. That's right. Because, like, you don't okay. want those rebels coming here. Did he actually defend Melbourne against the rebels of... Right. The, um, they, no, they enrolled special constables to protect Melbourne. Um... And then he called a public meeting, but it was taken over by the supporters of Diggers. Like those who were like, yeah, no, the Rinka Stockade was actually a fair thing. Like, reduce the tax, please. No one's making money. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so it's one of those ones where um, he was buried in the Anglican section of the Melbourne uh, General Cemetery, 
which I don't think exists anymore. No. In fact, I think it was demolished with when they started building universities. No, the Melbourne General Cemetery is... I don't know if that was the one where Batman was, and then it's also the bo- part where the Queen Vic markets are. Ah, that part of the, is that the old the old part of the Queen Victoria Market? Yeah, parts of the old Victoria Market were built. No, oh wait, no, it's the one in Parkville. He's buried in Parkville. Right. The Queen Victoria Market um, is it's interesting that brings us to the Queen Victoria Market because that is that that was a huge centre for for that was actually built before the Gold Rush. That was built in eighteen forty one, not the first one. Yeah, I believe the the current standing building was built in eighteen fifty six. Yeah, it, it's got that. Um, it's got the definitely got the Gold Rush aesthetic. Yes. Yeah. And um, and people had you were talking about before about how John Thomas Smith really made his money through didn't make his money through gold. But the pro, the good thing about the gold rush is it brought people out to use other to do to, to then spend money on other things. And like you say, Melbourne was just Melbourne was just a pool of money. I mean, people it was like any kind of rich city where everyone is affluent. The money just sloughs around, and the the affluent the affluent builders mm. would give money into the affluent. Affluent services that then give money onto affluent companies, which then in turn pay their workers affluently, and so you end up with this. I don't know if that's a word, and so they end up with this constant cycle of wealth, and that was it's very hard to achieve, particularly by a city as young as Melbourne was in those days. But they achieved it. They weren't that said, of course, though, and particularly in those uh, days. The market was first constructed in 1868. Oh, there were two it? other markets before that. You might be yeah. con- getting confused. I think so. Yeah, there was a fruit market as so in the Western market. But now the only ones that's left is the Queen Vic market. Queen Vic market that makes sense. Um, the of course there was a huge dividing wealth as well, and and those that that did get cut out of that cycle really really struggled to find their feet. Um, yeah, particularly um, as there was a huge population now, and not necessarily the, not always anyway the jobs to go with it. Yeah, it's one of those ones where like if you had a career that sort of wasn't reliant on gold, yeah. you did all right. Yeah, you were fine. Or like it was reliant on gold and the fact that. Diggers would give you more money than you've already had. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you probably wouldn't make a lot of money. The worst, um, the worst uh, sort of blow that came to the to Melbourne's wealth was really when the when the builders stopped wanting to build affluent districts and sort of really wanted to build exciting. Um, sorry, they wanted to build uh, wanted to build um, fantastical kind of. Things like the State Library, things that want, they, they, when the construction was scaled back in the 1890s, they oh, well, the construction, the city because so the, much of the city was in construction. No, the construction was scaled back because all the banks collapsed. Well, that as well. Yeah, yeah. the banks all, in like 1890. Um, yeah. Um, uh, it's like in 1891, like all the banks in Melbourne collapsed. Like, because yeah. the, there's no gold anymore and they're like, they're like these big, huge structures that were like, yeah, maybe we don't need to be here (laughs) and so they all left like they they were making no money anymore like no no one was taking loans because there was no more money coming in like the gold rush can only sustain you for so long yeah Um, and but that's what they did they so then they collapsed and then they got Mm. back on their feet it took them a while to get back on their feet like because once they recovered from one collapse the great depression happened Mm. and it wasn't until the 50s and stuff that like it really recovered the 1950s But Melbourne still, um, Melbourne still uh, did okay out of this, out of the crash. They weren't too, they weren't affected as badly as some cities, and this crash certainly wasn't as bad as the Great Depression. No, uh, the 1891 crash was was it affected cities like Sydney far worse. Um, which didn't have quite yeah, it so was much wealth it was an Australian, with. it was the Australian banking crisis of 1893. Yeah. But um, but even so, <coughs> it, it, it was it was due to that event that slums around Carlton and Collingwood were created. 
Yeah, um, there, there weren't a lot of restrictions on the banks, and that's part of the reason. Yeah, which again was something that happened in the 1920, in 1920s. Which yeah, the, and so like people started crash. declaring bankruptcy, and they're like, ah, bye-bye, bye-bye, yeah, bye-bye, so, bye-bye, bye-bye. Yeah. Um, Although it hasn't really affected the city. I mean, there was no, you don't notice the 1890 crash quite so much, partly because it was earlier... Um, but yes, definitely. But the one, the one, I would argue, the one time you do see remnants of that, of that depression was in the little alleyways and the shacks that you can still see sometimes around inner city Melbourne. Um, oh, you still got some of those bank buildings there. I saw one the other day. I can't remember which one it was. Um, I still remember looking at it being like, I've never heard of that bank. What's quite haunting is when you see the Bank of Australia Asia, which is long gone. I think that closed yeah, during the forty-three. I think they built heaps of outlets, which are still there. Yeah, I think that was the one I saw. Um, yeah. Yeah, the Victorian government had to implement a five-day bank holiday oh, to address it. That's um, good. For the, that sounds fun when they put it like that. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't sound. The federal bank. Devastating. The federal bank like went down, and they're like, "Oh, maybe this is all bad. <laughs> maybe this is bad." And you have to imagine for people living in 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 parts of uh, in a, in a city that is still only about seventy years old, not even seventy years old. And it's still uh, sort of in kind of suburbs that are threw up, thrown up basically on the whim and were lucky to survive. The, the, the fact that they found gold is very lucky. A lot of people... A lot of people Bad yeah. considering Melbourne went from like this, the, one of the richest cities in the world, to now yeah. we just broke. Yeah, it was, yeah, to broke. Give us money, please. <laughs> also, come can, and take a tram. Can we sell the gold in our roof? Or... <laughs> Do we really need that dome? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so... That's that's I feel like a more personal bit of Melbourne. Mm. Like John John Smith, bland name, yeah, not such a bland individual. No, no. Very he was a colourful character and one of the first of many <laughs> I think yes. in a, one so, of many in Australian politics. Some of which I'm sure we'll talk about in our crime and punishment episode. Yeah, crime and punishment or just whenever or our yeah. politics episode if we ever get a Indeed. But yeah, so do you want to go to another song? Yeah, let's and after go. that, we'll be back with the Shoot. quiz segments Ooh, and with yeah. the answers of last week's sport quiz. This is this is I don't even know why we're playing this one. It's got nothing to do with Gold Rush. It's got very little to do with Melbourne, but yeah, it's a good song. It's 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 corny and fun. And after talking about a depression, I think that's exactly what we all gang to gang. They, well, hang on, it's because don't forget the capital letters oh. at the start. So it's gang to gang. Oh, jeez, man, <laughs> chill. Sorry. sorry, that was sounds of then. This is Australia, a brilliant song. Uh, we introduced you to a classic. That was the sense of then. This is Australia, and this is historically speaking. Nice. You're listening on Sin Nation. Uh, I'm Alex with Andrew. Hello. Um, we're talking. We're gonna go through our quiz because we've. Yeah, we've, we've been talking society this week, all about the general, so the way people lived in in Australia and how they were affected by the gold rush. Um, but last week we talked about sport, and we had our three social media questions. Um, some of which were we did receive a few answers for it, and we'll be giving out the. We're giving out the prize, which is... The pride of winning. The pride of winning to them, if they could send us their addresses. Um, but uh, but this week... So the questions were, just to answer at home, though, the three questions were... Uh, what was the most successful AFL team since World War Two? Yep. Um, who won the Melbourne Cup in 2011? Yep. And what instrument did Brett Lee play in his seminal indie rock band at Six and Out? Nice. And so the three answers to that, the first answer to the first one was... Hawthorne. All right. The answer to the second one was... American? Dan Eden, I believe. Oh. Dan Eden. I think it was... I'll just Google check so we don't get sued. Um, I think it was... I think it was Dan Eden, the one 2011. Oh, I got confused then. It was... 
One by Dunedin. Yeah, Dunedin. Dunedin, whatever it is. And the last one, what um, instrument does Brett play? Brett Lee play in? He's seminal in any rock band, six and out. <laughs> it's the guitar. Yes, the lead guitar. So good luck to those of you who got it. Uh, if you didn't let us know what that was, either commenting or messaging us personally, then unfortunately we can't donate you as the as the winner. But anyway, yeah. now this week, pr- questions about this week's topic, which is society and gold rush, and Melbourne, marvelous Melbourne. Uh, what did you have a question? Um, what were the first cr- trams powered by? That's good. Yep. What were the first trams powered by? Uh, second question is what was Caroline Chisholm famous for building all the way along the uh, gold, the gold, the trip between the trip to the gold fields between Ballarat and Melbourne, Bendigo, and Melbourne. And the third question is we're going to put a picture up and you have to identify who that was. Who that person is. So go to our Facebook page. Uh, is it Historically Speaking Radio? Yeah, it's facebook.com slash historically speaking radio. Lovely. And uh, let us know what you think. Please let us know what you think of the show. Tell us if you've got any other funny stories about Melbourne history. It doesn't have to be about the gold rush. It can be about anything. Uh, next week we'll, we'll reveal the topic before next week uh, in the form of a riddle like we did yeah. this week. Um, and uh, But please do let us know if you've got any other things you want to add. Or if you think we've made a factual error, please do let us know because we're keen to get the record straight. Either way... Yep. Follow us on Facebook, like us on Facebook, 